Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning begins at the end of chapter 26 in the book of Genesis, beginning in Genesis 26, 34, and extending to Genesis 27, verse 41. As we turn our attention to this, the Word of the Lord, let's look together at this passage, considering as we read it, how it is that the Lord, even in spite of the machinations and the ill intentions of men, accomplishes his redemption with or without us by the virtue of his sovereign will. Let's look with that in view as we consider Genesis chapter 26, 34 through 27, 41. This is God's word. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Bereth, the Hittite, to be his wife. And basement, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening to when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it, and bless you before the Lord before I die." Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Bring them to me. So he went, and he took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his neck and on the smooth part um, of, or on the smooth part of his neck and on his hands. And she put delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, "My father." And he said, "Here I am. Who are you, my son?" Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him. 
because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see... The smell of my son, it is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob... When Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn son, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently. And said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless... You shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, having heard this word given to us by your servant Moses, spoken as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, we now hear from you and stand attentive to this, your word, asking that it would accomplish all of which you would be pleased to send it to accomplish. 
We put ourselves before you, eager and ready for you to do the work that is necessary within us through this word. Come and let your Holy Spirit be a bright and illuminating light. Let him cast the light of this word into our hearts to expose the dark crevices of our hearts that sin might be revealed. And that we might turn from that sin unto you and will endeavor with new and fresh obedience to run in the grace of your commands. Lord, give to your people, all of us in this moment, ample measure of such grace that we might be comforted and challenged by this your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've probably seen, as I have seen on a number of occasions, pictures of little boys, maybe five, six, seven years old, and you'd see the picture of the little boy, and he had a little funny look on his face, maybe a little wry smile, a little slant in his eye, a little raise of his eyebrow, and you would think to yourself by looking at that picture, I wonder what he's up to. He looks a little suspicious, a little sneaky. I must admit there's a few pictures of me like that when I was a five, six, seven-year-old boy. There's probably some pictures of me as a 30-year-old boy that looks something like that. Probably all of us at some point in time have had that little wry smile on our face, that little slant in our eye, that little raise in our eyebrow that makes our mother wonder, what is it that you're really up to? Well, the mother, Rebecca, in the case of Jacob, the one who sneaks, as it were, this blessing from his father Isaac, she didn't have to wonder about that look upon his face, for she was in many ways the mastermind behind the plot to sneak out from her husband the blessing that he had, he had planned to direct towards his oldest son, the favorite son of Isaac, the son Esau. It's a remarkable story, isn't it? A story that could almost be made into a movie. The deception, the levels of deceit, the moves and counter moves, it's like a literary chess game of which the two players with an angle for a blessing, watching each other, keeping toe to toe, trying to get to the end to where you hear check and hear checkmate. The trick is up. And indeed, in some ways, the whole of the story unfolds in just that manner. And it starts with what we might call the most obvious sneaking in the story. The most obvious sneaking for a blessing that we see in the story. This unfolding trap that's laid for Isaac through the plan of Rebekah and Jacob. Through the thin walls of the tent... Sly Rebecca heard of the plan that Isaac had to secretly bless his favorite son, Esau. As soon as Rebecca heard of the plan to bless Esau, she went into high gear. She concocted a plan of her own with several steps methodically outlined by which to capture her husband completely unawares and to gain for her favorite son, Jacob. The blessing that she believes he is rightfully due. 
we see that the first step in the unfolding plot for sneaking the blessing from Isaac is this creation of a deceitful meal. This is trap number one. The creation of this deceitful meal. The plan is very simple. I heard your father. He, he wants Esau to go out and kill some wild game, to cook him a wonderful dinner, to come in that he might enjoy it, and then to bless him. I want you to do the same thing, Jacob. I just want you to do it faster. And you're not very good at hunting, so I'm not going to send you out into the field with your bow and arrow. Just go out to our field where there's some goats. Bring them to me. I'll do all the slaughtering. I'll do all the cooking as long as you can deliver the meal. And you put up what will be an Oscar-worthy performance of sneaking a blessing from your father Isaac. It starts with this plan of a deceitful meal. But it unfolds, secondly, with this trap number two, a compelling disguise. As Rebecca comes to Jacob and tells him of the plan that she has, Jacob raises his hand with a bit of a concern. But, but mother, what if he calls me over to himself and, and seeks to, to touch me and to, to feel me? At that moment, the trick will be up, for Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. And so Rebecca, in her sly wisdom, in verses 5 to 16, says, I've got that figured out too. We're going to create what I will call the Esau costume. I've got his best clothes. They're here in the closet. I'm going to pull those out. I'm going to put them on you. Yes, they're two sizes larger than yours um, because Esau's a man of the field. He's a strong man. He's the, he's the favorite son, the one who's out there with the bow even right now trying to kill the game. But just put the clothes on. They'll have the right smell. Your father can't see very well. Smell will be important to him. Let's put the clothes on, and then we'll use the goat skins. We'll, we'll paste a little bit of the goat skin on your on your neck, because it's so smooth. And we'll, we'll do the same on your arms and on your, your, your hands. We'll create the Esau costume. It will be a compelling disguise. But there will be more that will be required of you, Jacob. Not just this deceitful meal to do it quickly. And not just the costume so that you'll smell and feel right. It's going to require, thirdly, a third part of the trap, a lying tongue. Three lies, in fact, are going to be needed in order for this sneaking of a blessing to go down. Now, if you can picture it, the warm meal on the hands of Jacob as he slips in the, the little slit there in the tent. Here he is in his brother's clothes that don't fit with goat's hair on his hands and on his neck. He looks ridiculous. But, of course, looks is not the point. Uh, the dim eyesight of Isaac, that's not going to be the issue. Here the foolish Jacob, the foolish looking, ridiculous Jacob walks in and he says, your, your father, my father. And you just kind of hope his voice didn't crack as he did so, as he begins to enter into this performance. And his father responds, here I am. Where are you, my son? I am Esau, your firstborn son, lie number one. I am Esau, your firstborn son. Now Isaac, yes, he's blind, yes, he's old, but he's not going to be taken too quickly. 
He doesn't buy this right away. His question, now for the voice that is speaking to him, how is it that you found the game so quickly, my son? This is a lot faster than I anticipated it to be. And then notice line number two. Because the Lord your God granted me success. Yikes. Yes, he just did that. He just made the Lord your God an accomplice in his falsehood. As he lies directly to his father, he says, the Lord your God, the one who our father Abraham served, your, your father Abraham served, he, he granted me great success. Oh, sure he did. More than a little suspicious, Isaac follows the kind of trust but verify method. He says, come here that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Now, we anticipated this because of Jacob's concern, but boy, didn't Jacob call it here? He he knew it with regards to his father. Listen, my father can't see me. My voice is going to be suspect. Um, He's going to rely deeply upon his sense of smell and his sense of touch. And sure enough, Isaac feels Jacob, and he responds in probably the manner we would expect. It's the voice of Jacob, but these hands are the hands of Esau. There's something of a lingering doubt that's still there in in Isaac as he continues to try to faithfully um, pull, as it were, the wool or the goatskin over his eyes. And as he seeks to do so, he asks one more time. I give you one more chance. Are you really my son Esau? Lie number three. I am. Now at this point, if you look at the text, specifically in verse 25, there's indication that Esau, um, well, Esau who's out in the field, beginning to find his game, going to come back soon to prepare his meal, there's indication that Isaac has gotten, well, hungry. I mean, this dialogue has been happening under the smell and the aroma of this amazing game uh, that has been now brought to him, this food, this fare that he loves, that Rebecca has actually prepared. She, she knows that, that Isaac is a man who, well, to get to his heart, you got to go through his belly. He's one of those kinds of men. We know that about uh, Isaac, in fact, because as you look back at Genesis chapter 25, in fact, the end of that chapter, after the birth of Jacob and, and Esau, we read a little statement about the favoritism of the two parents. You'll probably remember it. It says that Isaac loved Esau and that Rebekah loved Jacob. But it actually says more than that. It actually tells us why Isaac loved Esau. It doesn't tell us why, uh, why Rebekah loved Jacob, but it does tell us why Isaac loved Esau. It says Isaac loved Esau because he loved eating his game. He loved eating his game. In other words, he loved his son because his son made good food for him. His son put a good spread on the table. It's no wonder, in fact, in the midst of this this whole blessing that really the driving focus of Isaac, even more in some ways of the blessing, is the fact that he's going to get a good meal out of it. I mean, did you notice the language of verses 3 and 4? It's it's telling. As, As 
As Isaac speaks to Esau, he says to him, go out to the field and hunt game, notice, for me. And prepare, notice, for me, delicious food, such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat. Are you catching a theme here? You're catching a focus in the life of, of, of Isaac. It's being laced through in the last couple of chapters. This is a man who in many ways is driven by his, his belly. He's driven by the lusts of the flesh. In fact, the deceitful meal was part of a plausible context in which a blessing could be garnered from him because he was weak with internal will when good game showed up on the table. He was the man who every Monday started in on a diet, and by Monday night, he had lost his will and resolve to be able to do so. Now, Jacob knows something a little bit about this, and Esau knows something a little bit about this as, as well. You see, Esau was actually one who was driven by the lust of the flesh and the belly as well. We read about that in the birthright story. He's one who showed up famished from the, uh, from the work in, in the field. And it was a stew that was there on the stovetop that he was willing to exchange his own birthright in order to have a sweet taste of, like father, like son again. Oh, but here we have Jacob here too, right? He's a man who has some practice at deceiving people with meals. He was able to do it earlier with his own brother Esau. And here he is as the lead character in the deception and bringing his own father down. Do you see the parallels are obvious? After calling Jacob forward for a kiss at the end of this series of questionings, Isaac gains one final assurance from this Jacob who's dressed up like Esau. He smells of his clothes. And he says that they smell of the field. And it's at this that finally Isaac is ready to open up his lips to declare a blessing. He, he says to this Esau who is actually Jacob, May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let the people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Now why did I slow down in the midst of the blessing and the reading of it just a moment ago around the language of you will have lordship over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Why, why pause over that particular section? Well, because as soon as I read it again this week, I thought to myself, I've heard something of those themes before. In fact, we hear of those same themes back in Genesis chapter 25. You remember in the birth story of, of Jacob and of Esau. Uh, Rebecca goes before the Lord and she prays to the Lord, Lord, there is a turmoil, a battleground that's actually taking place inside of me with these two children who are tussling. Well, we said, listen, it was no normal uh, birth pain kick 
These were, these were two boys that were duking it out on the inside of her, and she was trying to figure out fretfully before the Lord what's going on. And the Lord said to her, listen, there are two peoples inside of you. There are actually two nations inside of you. One of those boys is going to be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. The, the prophecy that the Lord himself had given of these two boys back in Genesis 25 shows up in the language of, of Isaac's blessing here to, to Esau, who's not Esau, but Jacob. Except that in his blessing of this Esau, who's not Esau, but Jacob, Isaac, who knew that prophecy, is turning it on its head. The prophecy doesn't lisp. It doesn't stutter. It's quite clear that the... The older will serve the younger. But who does Isaac think that he's with? The older. He thinks he's with Esau. And he's taking, as it were, the very blessing that the Lord had given, the foretelling prophetically of Jacob and Esau. And he's saying, even though God said the older would serve the younger, I say I'd really like my favorite son to be the one who gets the blessing. Well, the plot thickens. I thought it was just, I thought it was just Rebecca and Jacob who were being sneaky. Lo and behold, Isaac himself is sneakier still. You see, the language actually at the beginning of the text in some ways indicates it. He calls just his oldest son Esau to himself in order to extend to him a blessing around a sacred meal, a very common um, practice and tradition in the ancient Near East. But it would have always been a practice that was done as a family. A moment where all could witness it as a means of celebration. Notice how Isaac has done it privately. To his son, except for his sly wife overheard, and thus began the chess game. The chess game of trying to sneak a blessing. But don't you see, there's a sneakier reality that's still within the context of the text. The sneakier reality is that Isaac is trying to sneak a blessing from God. He's trying to pull a fast one on God himself. God has already told him exactly what should be the situation between his two sons. And he's rejected the word of God for his own will and determination. He has said, no, my favorite son, the one that I love the smell of, the one that I am so excited about what he does as he goes out and he captures the game. And I keep, well, I keep priding um, him to my neighbors about how wonderful he is. He's the one who I really want to hold the legacy and the extension of the blessing and the inheritance of the promises of Abraham. And so I'm going to bless him whether the Lord wants to bless him or not. You see, there's a sneak to get a blessing in here, but there's a deeper sneak that happens with regards to Isaac in the midst of this transition. For he is actually showing us that he is willing to turn it all on its head and reject the word of God for his own personal preference and desires. 
just when he thought he had outsmarted God. God outsmarts him. For after receiving the blessing of his father Jacob, Jacob leaves the presence of his father and we have Esau who enters into the picture. He comes back. He's been successful in his game. He's gone to prepare a dinner. He comes in to see his father with meal in tow in verse 33. And he says to his father, My father, who are you? I am your son, your firstborn son, Esau. And you know what we're told? That Isaac trembles violently. Now the language of the text hardly can communicate its seizure-like activity. It's a seething anger where he is actually teeming with the shakes as he considers the fact that he who was trying to sneak a blessing has actually had the blessing sneaked from him. There's a twist in the story. What's interesting is the language of tremble, the language of, of fearful. We, we see that in many places throughout the Scripture, but I think it's, it's worth noting that the prophets tell us that the one whom the Lord blesses, the one who the Lord welcomes, is that broken and contrite heart and the one who trembles at what? His word. The tremble of this passage is not a man who's been trembling at the word of God. This is a man who trembles with anger because he hasn't gotten what he wanted. He wasn't able to outsneak God in the midst of all of his sneakiness. We see in the midst of it that Esau himself is thrown into a deep grief and turmoil. The text reads, as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with a great and bitter cry, Bless me, even me also, O my father. Three times he cries out to his father for blessing, but there was no blessing that was left for Esau. In fact, the language that is given of Esau is almost the exact reverse of what was given to Jacob. It's the anti-blessing blessing. There's so many things to learn, isn't there? So many things to say about this story. So many layers to what's going on. Some of us feel like we live in this family. We're afraid that our wives will overhear us in the other room talking to our son or our daughter or vice versa. Some of us feel like we're operating in family and life circumstances where it's all a chess move. We're all paying attention to how everybody's holding their jaw and interacting with each other. You see, behind this story is a toxic family, a family that's been eaten up with a parallel marriage, a marriage where husband and wife ne'er say a word of all that goes on in the midst of this passage. There's silence between the two of them. Their engagement is collaboration with the sibling or the son that they love. Because why? They've operated in favoritism. And yet God, in the midst of this dysfunctional and broken family, through one sneak after another, as we try to check and then checkmate the one who is after our blessing, God tells us that he is actually sneakier still in the best possible way. Not in the deceptive way. 
Not in the deceitful way. He told them right out in the open in Genesis 25, listen, the older will serve the younger. I've made it very clear to you. Despite your best attempts at thwarting my will, even through the machinations and ill intentions of Rebekah and Jacob, I'm turning things according to my will. You see, there's incredible confidence in this passage that we should have alongside great humility. Some of us in this room wish that we could thwart God's will. We don't like what he said. We don't like what he's brought into our lives. We wish that in any way we could reverse it, we could change it, and maybe some of us are working really hard to do so. Maybe we're so exhausted at trying to do so, we're about ready to give up this morning. Because the will of God keeps coming and nothing will stay his hand, as the psalmist tells us. He sits in the heavens and he does whatever it is that he pleases. One of the things that this passage teaches us, especially in the Isaac and the Esau side of the story, is that we must be humbled before the will and the wishes of God. We must obey, we must submit to fully and completely the will and the word of God. We should be humbled in the midst of operating. We are always operating under a will, even when we're asserting our will. That man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. There's humility in this passage. But you know the other thing in this passage is there's comfort and there's confidence in this passage. Listen, there's not one character in here that you want to be. No one has ever read this passage and said, Son, I hope you grow to be like Jacob. Daughter, I hope that you're just like Rebecca and you have a marriage as sweet as her and Isaac. No one has ever said that. Said by no one ever. Those comments right there with regards to reading this text. Everyone is a, is a villain you're not for anyone in the midst of this passage. I mean, that's the reality. This, there's no dare to be a Daniel or be a man after God's own heart David moment here. There's none of those things happening in this text. Everyone is falling short of the glory of God, and they all come out looking ugly in the end. Except God. Except God. You see, the confidence in this passage doesn't come from the characters, or at least the lead human characters. It comes from the main character that's in every story of the Bible. God himself. This passage teaches us that we can be so malevolent, so ill-intentioned, so deceptive, so sneaky, so after our own blessings, so pursuing our own interests, so wanting and going after the things that we want, and God will use even that to accomplish his purposes. Praise be to his name. You see, he doesn't have a lot to work with when it comes to you and me. He has to use wickedness to accomplish his purposes. That's who we are. And he's just so pleased to do so. You see, the comfort and the confidence in this passage is that your sin cannot be so bad through which God, through the redemption of his promises and his purposes, can't overcome to accomplish his will in your life. That's a remarkable confidence in this passage. It's a remarkable confidence. Some of us feel it here that we're so far gone with regards to the machinations and ill intentions of our actions and will. And there's no way we're going to get out of it. And this passage teaches us that God, even through what you intended for evil, 
what he intended for good. We're going to learn that again in the book of Genesis. And some of you know directly where that quote comes from. That's an incredible confidence in this passage. Humility in this text, confidence in this text. But it also teaches us this. It teaches us that the only person that we can actually trust in the Bible is the one who dresses up like us to win for us the blessing that the Father gives to Him and that we get through Him. There's something really sad in this passage. It's not that, but it's behind this passage. You know, Jacob, what a squirrely character. He has lived up to his name. Literally means he cheats or he deceives. We see that. Do you know that he has grown up in a family? He's probably 40 years old at this point. Let's just get in his shoes for a minute so you can appreciate the depth of what's going on. He's lived in this family for 40 years. He's seen his father, which is most likely the person that he looks up to most for acceptance and approval in life. He's seen his father over and over have a favorite son that's not him. That's been Esau. Even though God himself has prophesied that by his determination and will, Jacob, the younger son, will be the one who rules over the older son, Esau. His own father has rejected that because his favoritism is so great for his son Esau over Jacob. Now be Jacob in that. And the, the vitriol and the separation and the parallelism in these relationships run so deep that Jacob has to actually act like he's Esau. Just to hope that his father will bless him. Just to hope that his father will bless him. Friends, in the midst of this passage, we're seeing our hearts on display. Don't you see? How many of us go through life trying to be people that we are not to get blessings from the people we wished we could get them from? How many of us do that? How many of us have parents and authority figures and and others in our lives that we look up to and we just continue to try to perform in order to gain from them the blessing that we want to get from them? We look so foolish. We put on other people's clothes and have goat skins on our necks. And people look at us and go, that's not you. I know, but that's who they want me to be. And I want to be whoever it is I need to be to be able to get the blessing that I know that I need. How many of us actually live lives where that's actually the running motivation of our hearts? We're actually walking through life with that level of fear, constantly trying to garner that level of approval and looking like a fool in order to do it, deceiving and jockeying in order to manipulate our way so that we'll be able to receive a blessing. This is why in the midst of this passage, we see such a clear example of the gospel. Because when Jesus came, what he did was dress up like you and me. He had been forever at the second, as the second person of the Trinity in communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But he took on what? Human flesh. He was made like us in every way. And he lived a life of perfection not needing to deceive a father. Because his relationship with his father was perfect. 
In fact, the Father tells us so at his very baptism as the Holy Spirit descends on him. The Father says, listen, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Don't you know that the heart cry of Jacob was to be able to hear that from his father Isaac. And he thought, I've got to be someone that I'm not in order to get the blessing and acceptance of my father. Jesus became someone that he wasn't in order to win for us the blessing that we could never receive on our own. You see, in the midst of this passage, this beautiful gospel parallel. And what's remarkable in the midst of it is that Jesus himself, in order to do so, becomes for us what is in some ways the hidden character of this whole whole unfolding. He becomes for us the meal that satisfies the Father. He becomes for us the meal, the propitiations, the big $3 theological word. The atonement, the satisfaction of the Father. That the Father looks on the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And he consumes it as it were. And it becomes for him satisfaction so much so that we who trust in Christ have now become adopted sons and daughters. And of which we hear from the Lord today. In you I am well pleased. In you, I am well pleased. Yeah, Jesus didn't have to sneak a blessing from his father. He had the blessing of his father. He came here to win for us the blessing that we can never gain for ourselves. Do you see, we had no passport with the father. We had no way of interacting with the father, but Jesus has made the way. Because he is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And he is the means by which we live. Friends, one of the beautiful gospel lessons in this passage is the fact that you no longer have to dress yourself up to be someone that you're not in order to try to get a blessing from the Father. You don't have to do that anymore. You know how exhausting that is? The clothes don't fit. The goat hair is itchy. And on top of it all, it stresses you out as you go in with a deceitful and lying tongue trying to act like you're someone that you're not. We, because of the love that has been won for us in Christ, can go in into the presence of the Father for the mess that we are, knowing that His love for us is not based upon anything that we have done, but everything that Jesus has done for us. And we can receive the banner over us is His love. The banner over us is His love. You see, that's why we come to the Lord's table every week, isn't it? We come to this table every week because we need to know that we've been welcomed by that Father. And there's nothing else that needs to be done. And as we are welcomed by that Father, in the joy that is set before us, we continue to walk this life under the benediction, the blessing of His salvation that is ours in Christ. So as you leave from this place today, I hope that you shed your goat skins. And I hope that you take off Esau's clothes. And I hope you learn that you don't have to be someone that you're not. Because, well, you're not even you anymore. You've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live. But it is Christ who lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God 
who loves you and delivered up himself for you. Father in heaven, you know to the degree that the hearts in this room, we all need to hear that message. Forgive us for the foolishness of what we try to do to get your blessing. And thank you for Jesus, who is our ever-present intercessor and advocate before you, who has won for us a blessing that will never be revoked. For that, we rejoice. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.